0: It is my honor to bring to you God's word uh, from the Gospel of John. I'm Harold, one of the pastors. Uh, If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 19, verses 17 to 19 and 30 to 35. John 19, verses 17 to 19 and 30 to 35. We're at the part none other than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pick up toward the tail end of verse 16 so that this makes sense in verse 17. Let's give our full attention to this. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verses 30 to 35 now. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Okay, this is the Gospel of John, God's Word. Perhaps the most foremost missionary and preacher of the Christian Gospel by the name of Apostle Paul, he explained that whenever he preached about Jesus Christ and the cross, Whenever or whoever or wherever he went to preach about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it would always generate extreme responses. To some people, it was nonsense, nonsense. To other people, it was an offensive message that people could not handle. And then to some other people, it was the very power of God, God working his power to save people from their sins. Nonsense, offensive, to the very power of God to save. From this message, that Jesus Christ had to be crucified. Now, here in the scriptures, we just read in verse 18, there they crucified him. Two criminals were crucified next to him on either side, and Jesus was crucified in between them. Did you notice how simple and straightforward the scriptures are? That's all it says. He got crucified. Two other people got crucified. Why doesn't the scripture elaborate a little bit more about the the procedure? Like, why isn't it like Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, where we can see the nails, we can feel the crown of thorns, we can see the flogging. Why doesn't the Bible go into detail about that, especially here in John's gospel? Well, I'll tell you, it's because it was so common in Jesus' day, no one had to be told or explained People would see it commonly. It was a public, shaming, crime-deterring ritual. And women were firsthand witnesses to crucifixions. And little kids, little babies, they would cry. They would cry over these crucifixions. But just to help us out just a little bit, a medical doctor by the name of C. Truman Davis, he just gives his take from a medical point of view of what this procedure must have been like. The victim would have been stripped, completely naked, completely naked, subject to open humiliation. The crossbeam is placed on the ground, and then the man is thrown against that wood, naked. The executioner feels for the depression in the wrist, and he drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arc of each, leaving the knees flexed. The weight of the body falls entirely upon the arms. The nails tear up through the flesh until they are lodged in the depression of the wrists. As the victim slowly slags down, with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. And as he pushes himself upwards to avoid stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Toward the end of his description, Truman Davis's description, here's how it he concludes spasmodically, the crucified person is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough wood. Then another agony begins. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. So is a medical doctor's take on the procedure of crucifixion. Now, as you know, the English word excruciating comes again from the cross now. It actually comes from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it is an unexplainable, torturous, professional, almost masterful way to maximize pain upon a criminal that the Roman Empire had perfected. According to the scriptures, Jesus Christ hung upon a cross on that Good Friday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. We just read in verses 35 and following that normally the legs were broken because if your legs were broken, you would automatically suffocate. This was actually an act of mercy. It was to hasten a victim's death. This was the case with the two criminals crucified next to Jesus. But the scriptures record Jesus had already died by the time the soldiers got around to breaking his, fulfilling ancient scriptures. This is a little bit of how Jesus died. This is a little depiction that's all captured there when it says Jesus was crucified. That's the method. But why again are the scriptures so straightforward and simple? not only because Jesus' audience knew what crucifixions were like, but I'll tell you what's even more important this morning. More than the method of crucifixion, the scriptures announce its message and its meaning is far more crucial. More than figuring out or watching a movie or reading medical depictions of how Jesus died, it is much more crucial, in fact, eternity changing for people's lives to know why he died. So more than the method, it's the meaning, the message. More than how he died, it's do you understand why was Jesus Christ crucified? And I'll tell you, all throughout history as I'm in a line of giants and heroes and godly men this singular message that Jesus Christ had to be crucified has always hit people so differently. To some, it's nonsense. To others, it's offensive. But to some, it's the actual power of God to save people from their sins. And I'll tell you, in my own experience in the scriptures tell me too, you know, the message of crucifixion will never work for the comfortable Let me just start with that. The the message of crucifixion will never hit home and it doesn't make sense for those who want comfort, comfort above everything else. There's a story of a family, either from Europe or from America, they were vacationing out at Banda Aceh in Indonesia. Remember in 2004, that great horrific earthquake occurred off the Indian Ocean and it sent this ginormous tsunami onto a resort. There were reports that One of those cameras that give instant pictures, you know, it just kind of spits out the actual image. There's an image of a family, snorkels, swim trunks, happy as can be, taking a picture with the beach in the backdrop. But someone reported, if you look closer at the picture, on the horizon, behind the smiles, is this thin, ominous, dark cloud. On the horizon, You can see the tsunami that was forming and about to come. You know, the same man by the name of Jesus who got crucified on a cross, he taught and he preached and he warned more than anybody else, more than even talking about the love of God. He warned the wrath of God is coming. Judgment is coming. Probably the worst confession of faith we're ever going to read. What happens to those who do not know Christ by faith? Eternal torment. Jesus warned repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. My Father's wrath is coming. He's infinitely holy and just. Every crime, every sin, every wicked thought or deed is going to be punished. Therefore, you'd better find a way to escape. Therefore, you'd better find a way to avoid it. This is what Jesus taught. So to see Jesus crucified there and the message behind why Jesus was crucified there simply just cannot work for people who want to be comfortable. It'll never fit in. People who want to avoid reality, duck your head under the cover, just go to sleep, Drink more coffee or drink more alcohol. Don't think about reality. The message of crucifixion won't work with avoiders. It won't work with people who pretend. It won't work with people who want to desensitize or numb themselves. It won't work with people in denial. It won't work with people who don't want to face reality as it is. It certainly won't work with anxious, busy, distracted people. I mean, especially in the holiday season, some of us are so distracted and busy, you can't remember the last time you thought about something very deep or meaningful. But the message of crucifixion will not come home to those who want comfort above anything else. You know, until you really see, until you really get why Jesus Christ had to be crucified on the cross, until then, you will never realize that your problem with God is much worse than you realized the message of the crucifixion, why Jesus had to hang upon a cross in a torturous, humiliating way in history, you will never grasp that your problem with God is actually much worse than you had realized. You see, a lot of us have been taught in Sunday school, you have some religious background, and you've been taught sin is breaking religious rules. Don't do this. Be careful of that. Don't do that. And most of our fear and shame of breaking religious rules isn't so much because we're ashamed before God, we're ashamed before other people. It's social shame, social disapproval. Oh, it's the status if you go through with something like that. But you know your Sunday school understanding will never help you understand how bad your problem really goes. Sin is not just breaking religious rules. I mean, we got to get out of Sunday school, right? As we mature in every other area, field of knowledge, you add nuance and sophistication and depth. Sin is not just breaking religious rules. Do you know what sin at the root is? Sin is breaking a covenantal relationship with God. It's breaking the heart of God. The reason why Jesus had to be crushed, the reason why Jesus had to be broken, the reason why Jesus had to be crucified because that's the only solution to the problem we got and the problem is much worse than we had thought it's not just breaking rules it's breaking the heart of god i think i've shared this before my two lovely daughters who i feel like i love to death but it's getting harder and harder they're 14 and 12 and i thought to myself what is the worst thing they could ever do what is the worst thing they could ever do live a life of crime Yeah, that would be pretty awful. Be lazy, not realize their maximum potential. Yeah, that'd be disappointing. I think the worst thing they could ever do is come up to mom and dad and say, from this day forward, we're not going to have any contact with you. We're not going to tell you where we're going to go. We're going to get new passports. I'm going to change our name. We're not going to give you an email, a phone call. We, even, you can't find us for the rest of our lives. We are no longer your daughters. We're no longer in relationship with you. From this day forward, we declare independence. We are fully autonomous. Do not ever check up on us again. That, to me, might rip my heart out. And you see, it doesn't matter what my daughters do after that. After they have declared to their parents, I want nothing to do with you. I'm gone. I want to be on my own. It doesn't matter what they do. doesn't matter if they go feed the poor. doesn't matter if they win the Nobel Peace Prize. You see, in terms of relationship with me, our relationship, there's nothing but ruin and wreckage and pain. And here's the story, the diagnosis that the scriptures give about your story and my story is that the more fundamental, the more influential, the more important any relationship is, and you have a relational breakage, a severage, a fallout, do I need to be the one to tell you how much that hurts and how much it affects almost everything else? My friend this morning, do you know that the root problem of what's affecting everything else How much more when you have a breakage of a relationship with God, your maker, the one who's supposed to be your best counselor, the one who's supposed to be your BFF of all BFFs, the one who's supposed to be your spouse, the one who's supposed to be your everlasting father. My friend, there is no way you can make up for that when a relationship, the most first and foundational and most important, which is a human creature to be in a loving, living, real relationship with God, with God, with God. When that's not right, nothing will ever be right. And my friend, that is why Jesus Christ had to be crucified. If you've ever been in a relationship where loving the other person figuratively and literally starts to feel like you're dying. Have you ever loved a person like that? Have you ever loved and given your heart to someone so much so That you are utterly vulnerable, open to be hurt. And it feels like death to continue to love that other person. Do you know what that feels like? Jesus did. Jesus did. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Gonna feel like dying. Greater love. There is no greater love than this. Than one laid down his life for his friends. That is love. And the point at which you feel like dying and loving someone else, I want to give you a lot of encouragement. Do you know that you just passed from a sentimental notion of love to sacrificial? You just went from fantasy to real. You just went from worldly notions of love to Christian Apostle Peter describes it this way. It's one of my favorite verses of all time. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Can any of you handle it if you're in a love relationship where the other person always overcorrects you? Always overcorrects. It's overly critical. Calls out every hurt. Calls out every wrong. Perceived or real. Real. Can you handle a relationship like that? Suffocating, draining. You're going to feel like you're dying to love the other person. And I'll tell you, the most loving people, you see, the most loving people, the most godliest people, they're not overly critical. Do you know what they do? They cover over a multitude of sins. Here's what that means for them. A lot of loving, godly people, you'll never know what it costs them. They hurt not to hurt you. They bear a lot of pains not to give you pain. They go through a lot of things. You would not even imagine in their love for you because love covers over a multitude of sins. I think about about my mom. I think about my mom a lot when I hear this verse. I think about my wife. I think about our church. I think about my closest friends. But here's what Jesus did at the cross. For him to not hurt you, for him to not hurt you, he hurt unto death. He swallowed it down whole. Instead of lashing back and taking it out on us, he had it all taken out on him. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's not for the comfortable because it actually shows us our true and real condition. You know, last Sunday, the headline that I read after church services were done In Sutherland Springs, Texas, at First Baptist Church, is that the daughter of the pastor, 14, that's exactly Taylor's age, was one of the ones who was shot. She's one of the victims. And as we think about and grieve and pray for those who went through the tragedy at Texas, Russell Moore, one of the Christian leaders, he made this remark, that will not leave me. He said, it's better to try to kill the church of Jesus Christ through comfort than it ever is through the than, uh, than it ever would be through the threat of death. It's far better and effective and easier to try to kill off the church through comfort, but you will never kill it because of the threat of death, because we're already dead and resurrected in Christ. My friend, the message of crucifixion is it for you? Is this you? Is it talking to you? Does it mean much to you? The crucifixion will never make sense if all you want is comfort. Here's another category of kind of people that the crucifixion is always just going to be, it won't register. The message of crucifixion is also not for contributors. Contributors. Here's what I mean by that. Contributors. People who have a noble desire to be about a good cause contribute to society and when you get with god and religion you want to do the same thing here too let me contribute let me help out we just heard from jung that moving story how he came from a buddhist family one of buddha's final words that is repeated is strive without ceasing it's one of his bedrock principles to be a good buddhist strive without ceasing every good hero coach Religious leader tells you something like that. Only Jesus, while he's hanging upon a cross, before he expires, says, It is finished. It is finished. So, my friend, the crucifixion means this you don't come to this God in Jesus by saying, I'm going to do less of this or more of that. You don't come to God and say, I will make it up somehow. Let me contribute. If you do, you don't get it. You don't get the cross. You don't get the gospel. Because, why did Jesus Christ end up crucified if you and I can contribute? There's that very popular saying, but God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. They took a polling that many, many Americans think that's straight from Scripture. I'm here to tell you that's nowhere in Scripture. Did you know that Scripture never says something like, God helps those who help themselves? Jesus never said something what Buddha would say, strive without ceasing. Jesus would never say, hey, can you contribute a little bit to the cause? Instead, here's what Jesus said. It is finished. And the crucifixion is really, really hard to accept. As long as you want to contribute, even just a little. You know, 1 Peter chapter two, verse 24, the apostle told us there, In his version or his explanation of what the gospel means, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus Christ bore it all. He paid the entire cost. He finished off the payment. The work is done. Period. There's no other contributions that could be added on or subtracted for God to love and forgive and save sinners. This week I was reminded by the story of Malcolm Mud, uh, Mud, Mudridge. who's was a British journalist. Uh, I understand that not only highly educated, he actually became a spy. And he talks about when he was out in Africa being a, a spy for the British government he got so despondent by the reality of world war, he said, I just want to swim and swim and swim and swim and swim as long as I could until I drowned. So he had an episode with that. But then later on, he begins to describe that every time he would see even two wooden pieces that come together to form a cross, instinctively, he said there was something more passionate, important, and tumultuous about it. Even as a young man, he knew this was intriguing, but he couldn't get his mind wrapped about it, and he would usually try to avoid it. But later on, he went from being a comfortable person to a contributor to society, and he converted to become a Christian. And here's how he described it. It's like I answered a bell that has long been ringing And while he was trying to film a documentary on Mother Teresa in one of the poorest parts of India, here's what she taught him, which was key to Malcolm's conversion. She taught Malcolm, it is not all the good deeds in the world which finally matter in the end, but in whose name they were performed. Christianity is not a program, it's not a project, it's all about a person. And Mudridge writes, later on after his conversion, the cross should have been my cult, my uniform, my language, my life. I shall have no excuse. I can't say I didn't know. I knew from the beginning and turned away. But later on, God kept coming after him. And the message of the crucifixion broke through. Samuel Zwemer of... A theologian once observed that the cross of Christ is anything to the mind, it is surely everything, the most profound reality and the sublimest mystery. One comes to realize that literally all the wealth and glory of the gospel centers here. So the message of crucifixion is not for the comfortable. The message of the crucifixion is not for those who want to contribute. You're all about good causes. Well then, who is the message of crucifixion for? I'll tell you. The message of crucifixion only works with convicts. In this room right now, the only people that the message of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is going to work with are convicts. Because as you heard from Jung, before you become a Christian, you are disinterested, you are distracted, you are hardened, you keep saying, what does this have to do with me? But somehow, when the Spirit of God works through the message of his crucifixion, it is the most amazing, wondrous, and haunting thing. You could be in a place with many people, or even among a crowd, and it actually feels like God is just talking to you. It actually feels like God knows your name personally and he drove you and brought you to this place to hear this message and he singles you out and you feel in your seat all the way down to the depths of your soul that this message could not have been more tailor-made, more perfectly than to suit someone just like you. It's only for convicts. Horatius Bonar once wrote a hymn, a beautiful hymn, that my heart breaks over. Around the cross, the throng I see, mocking the sufferer's groan, yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. A convict is someone who gets owned by God. A convict is someone that is spoken to and pierced to the core by God. A convict like me feels that how lame and wretched and insecure and comparative and prideful have I been all my years. To notice other people's sins. But yet at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he would have had to be nailed there just because of me. A convict is far from comfortable. A convict is well past of how he or she can contribute back to society. A convict, though, is the only kind of person Jesus came to die for. A convict is the only kind of person Jesus came to love. A convict is the only kind of person Jesus can save. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly, ungodly. Romans chapter five, verse six. Romans chapter five, verse eight goes on to say, but God shows or demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not saints, while we're going through breakup, not have it all together, while we were wretched, caught red-handed in sin, Christ died for us. Remember how verse 18 mentioned that two criminals were crucified next to Jesus on either side and Jesus was crucified in between them? The Gospel of Luke actually spells out their end-of-life stories further in this way. Well, one criminal railed at Jesus while he's being crucified next to Jesus. He railed at Jesus with these words, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us the other criminal rebuked the first criminal and he said we are under the sentence of condemnation justly the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and he turned and asked jesus would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom My friends, one criminal never owned up to his wrongs but thought something was wrong with Jesus or God or the world. It's always someone else's wrong. This criminal never opened up to his wrongs but thought God and the world and everyone else is wrong. Ironic, this man was convicted of crimes against humanity and he's hanging upon a cross, but even as he's being executed upon a cross, he is not yet convicted by God. The other criminal got convicted by God. The other criminal got owned by that man hanging next to him. And he was convicted by what is wrong in and of himself. And the other criminal said, it is just for us to die. And he knew there's nothing wrong with Jesus. And so the other criminal knew, there's something awfully wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. Well, therefore, that means Jesus must be dying for not his crimes, but his. Jesus must be dying not for his own sins, but his. See, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, my friends, comfortable folks don't want to see or own up to their own wrongs. They never want to do that. So you're going to expect and make other people pay at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, contributors are going to try to make up for their own wrongs. You're going to make yourself pay more, but only convicts, only convicts. Are there any convicts in this room? They get to look up to Jesus and pray, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and then you get to hear Jesus reply, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise.